Hello, welcome to the Millionaire Woman Show, where we'll be discussing leadership, business, and human potential, inspiring you to live rich from the inside out. Unlock your creativity, stretch out of your comfort zone, break through your barriers, take inspired action, and achieve epic results. Now, here's your host, two-time best-selling author, speaker, and certified executive coach, Deborah Kosowski. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Millionaire Woman Show, where we talk about topics of leadership, business, and human potential. And today, I have a very special guest, and we are going to be talking about some disruption. So I'm super excited to challenge the status quo and really help you think on a whole new level. Today's guest, Candy Barone, is CEO of You Empowered Strong. It's a leader, she's a leadership development expert, trainer, executive coach, as well as an international speaker and Amazon bestselling author. She is a catalyst and change agent who works with executives and emerging leaders to help bring the heart back into leadership while feeding the souls of their business. With nearly 20 years of corporate, combined with a bachelor's degree in mechanical engineering, certification as a Six Sigma black belt, and an MBA, she is a master at building exceptional high-performing teams, maximizing leveraging on the ROI, growing emerging leaders, creating metrics for greater accountability, and catapulting individuals to achieve explosive growth. She is named 2014 to 15 VIP Woman of the Year by the National Association of Professional Women, was a recipient of the 2015 Public Speaker Association Local Collaborator Award, and was nominated as the 2015 Profile Power Central Texas Woman of Influence. Candy also has been showcased on in CNN, US News, World Report, the Austin Statesman, Austin Business Journal, Be the Boss Magazine, Offbeat Business Magazine, the Chicago Tribune, CI Living TV, Fems Under 40 Magazine, along with numerous radio shows and podcasts. In addition, she serves as a call leader for the Evolutionary Business Council, a partnering director of the Public Speakers Association, and is a member of the Good Deeds Society and volunteers within her community. Candy currently lives in Austin with her dog, Peyton, and enjoys free time outdoors on the water, spending time with friends, reading, or working out. This is one powerhouse woman, and I'm so glad to have you on the show, Candy. Oh, thank you, Deborah, so much. It's such an honor. I'm privileged to be here. I truly appreciate it. Thank you. It is amazing. You have so many different accomplishments, and <laughs> when we had a chance to talk about um, the show and just connect with each other, one of the things that came up in conversation is the idea of being a disruptor. And uh, so let's just cut to the chase and start there. Why do people consider you a disruptor and why is it important for people to be a disruptor? Yeah, I would say I've been a disruptor pretty much my whole life. Um, always challenging what people say should be what we pay attention to. And so there's been a lot of shooting 
throughout my life, as I like to say it, and uh, always wanting to challenge where that came from. Does that really serve? Does that work? And it started even back in my corporate days. I got tagged as the queen of derailing agendas because I found it fascinating that someone would have a full agenda on questions that needed to be asked. Yet on the bottom of the agenda, there would already be the solution. And so usually it was more of that kind of domino or ripple effect where you're like, well, have you thought about if this happens, this, 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 and this might happen as well. And you get kind of the deer in the headlights look. And my response always was, maybe we should dig into that before we assume we already have a solution. So fast forward into owning my own company, and it's the same thing. I spent a lot of time in corporate building teams, uh, doing a lot around leadership development training, uh, really supporting our function, our areas, and our departments. And found it interesting that we keep bringing the same message over and over and over again. And what I found was that the whole definition around leadership needs to be disrupted. What we have previously taught about leadership is either something that's born, you're either naturally born a leader, or you're taught these specific skill sets that make you a leader. In my opinion, it's a bunch of BS. I think there's a bigger issue around leadership that's not being addressed. And one, it's a fact that it's everybody's responsibility and it's everyone's choice and when you really put that ownership back on everyone in the organization leadership looks very differently and it requires that you start paying attention and bringing in more training around emotional intelligence of what it truly means to stand in that space and so take a lot of pride in the fact that I disrupt a lot <laughs> around what's uh, currently being seen and uh, thought of as what leadership really is versus what it truly is and how that can impact and change an organization. I'm totally on the same page with you in teaching emotional intelligence, but as well as asking the questions that need to be asked. And I find that so many people they'll be like, oh, that's a good question. Well, it, you need to start asking questions. Right. and encouraging people to ask those questions and being curious. So when you think of the frontline leader, the emerging leaders, the top, you know, often we see a us versus them mentality in an organization. How do you think that we can shake things up and have people realize that the leadership begins where they are at? Yeah, I mean, that's a fantastic question. I mean, you look at our culture across the board, we have such a polarized us versus them. And, and I remember, I think it was either Deepak Chopra or uh, Wayne Dyer that said the worst four letter word in the English language isn't what you think it is, it's the word they and them. And anytime we point that out, because what happens is I even hear people, individuals in corporate say, well, my boss isn't promoting me. They're not giving me opportunity. And my response always is, you're ultimately responsible for your growth. You're so then, are you finding the champion? Are you having bigger conversations? Are you asking the question, what do you need to see in order for me to be someone who's considered for promotion? Are you taking ownership? And again, it's that ownership, it's that personal responsibility to say, wait, I'm a valuable piece of this puzzle. That being said, I need to be able to voice and ask the question, just like what you just said, you've got to be able to ask that question and the big question. So a lot of the work that I do is helping people have the conversation up and out and take personal responsibility that they're not venting down. 
because it's irresponsible when they're just dumping on people that don't have context or the emotional wherewithal to handle what's coming down. So the venting and the bigger conversations need to be up and out. And most people are intimidated by that. They see the title VP. They say, I don't want to go talk to my VP. I'm like, you know, he puts his pants on the same way you do unless he jumps in them and then he's just acrobatic and has some interesting talents, right? And so when you break that down and realize that every person is bringing their insecurity, every person has the opportunity to use their voice, what happens is if you don't, it's eroding the trust in organizations, whether they're small companies here in Austin that I work with or big Fortune 100 companies, most organizations have a huge dysfunction, which is a lack of trust in their organization. And it's because people are not willing or courageous enough to have the big conversation that needs to happen. And so you start to coach and work with people on what does that look like? And often it's taking the emotion out of it and creating almost a formula to have that difficult conversation that puts the onus on you and opens up a way that's more of that and conversation versus that but conversation. And so um, it really, there's a formula to how you can do that so that you can use your voice and not bring in all the emotion that oftentimes gets, that blocks the ability to communicate effectively. Yeah. If I may, I, and you, I, I know you know this, <laughs> um, but I want you to add to this. Sure. In my emotional intelligence training, I learned a method, the XYZ method. That's and what we one of the really big things that I want to share it with our audience and then have your input into that is how powerful such simple statements have. And I want to explain to people why is this X, Y, Z is when this happens. So you're describing the situation and then why is I feel exactly right so you're allowing that emotional expression so you're not that person who bottles things up and then it explodes at the inopportune time right and then finally you also get to set expectation by saying i would like this to happen the next interaction or the next encounter so that you can not only express yourself you're starting to remove that emotion right. but also set expectation of what you really want because it's the one thing that i've learned as well, and I, I would love for you to share a story exactly around this. I use, right? Is that when people vent, they have an idea of what the ideal is. Yes. But they just can't articulate it. Right. Yeah, it's the exact formula I use. And the only maybe slight change is before they preface the XYZ equation, start by framing the positive. So what you do is you get to a already win-win kind of agreement that says, I know we're both trying to grow X, right? Is it fair to say that we both want the team to succeed? La, la, la. Whatever that framing the positive, because then you already got agreement from that person to say, so then I've noticed or I've experienced or I've observed X. So whatever it's been that needs to be discussed, it's that I noticed, I've observed, I've experienced, I've heard, whatever it is, it's I am the person that has, you know, taken this in. And so you put that out there as that I, whatever X. And then to your point that I feel is, aside from I am, I feel is the two most powerful words that we can put together. Because when you take ownership, and here's the trick, it's not to say I feel pissed off, which is an acceptable emotion in business. When we use words that I was, I am, I feel angry or I feel pissed when 
that isn't the emotion you're actually feeling. You're not contributing to a powerful conversation. You are still holding back because if you're feeling insecure or you're feeling like someone stepped over you or you're feeling shut down, then you need to articulate exactly how you feel in order for that conversation to have real power because otherwise you're still masking the issue and talking around it instead of talking directly to it. So you say something like, I've noticed X, I feel like I get shut down in those moments. Know that that's what I feel, just sharing. And then I would love to discuss how we might approach that differently so we all feel like we have a voice at the table. And that's the Z part of the equation. And what you're looking for is, and people always talk about that win-win equation, what you're actually looking for is a win-win-win equation. You want a win for you, a win for the other person, and a win for all of those that are affected by the outcome. And so it's a bigger win-win. And when you have that conversation and you're able to say, I feel and genuinely articulate the emotion you're feeling, that becomes a powerful conversation as a leader to take that personal responsibility. And I love that you use the same equation. I am so, I teach the X, Y, Z equation to everyone. It is so powerful. I live it. <laughs> right, right, yes. I live that and I live the changing the yeah but to a yes and. I have people even at my events like, you say and a lot. I'm like, yes, because and is an inclusive contributor to the conversation, mm -hmm. but is gonna shut people down. And too many people go, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, and their big butts get in the way, and they have the opportunity to say yes, and I hear you, and I have something else I want to offer. There's a big, that one word shift can change everything. And what's interesting is I actually had a client once tell me, but it's easier to say, but, I said, let's talk about that. Linguistically, I really don't understand that statement because they're both three letters, they're both single syllables. And if I've ever watched a child learn the English language, B's and P's are the hardest letters for them to say. So technically, from a linguistic standpoint, it's actually easier to say and than but. So try again. Because it's an excuse that we've created to say, yeah, but it's easier to, no, it's a habit we've created. Because linguistically, it's actually easier to say yes and. <laughs> you know what I find really interesting, even though when we're talking about the XYZ, people still want to avoid conflict. They see this conversation as conflict, so they want to avoid it. And yet, as you describe it, it's so, so powerful. What is it about the avoidance of conflict that really breaks down our leadership as an individual? Yeah, I think there's two things and they always go hand in hand. You can't have trust without vulnerability and you can't have vulnerability without trust. And so it's kind of like the, the egg, you know, the chicken or the egg, which comes first. You need both. And what happens is most organizations have created such a culture of distrust, such a culture of people not feeling like they can be wide open without being attacked, without having, you know, retroactive, some kind of consequence that's going to being exposed or embarrassed. And so when leaders and I'm talking executive leaders down, don't demonstrate that ability to be vulnerable and to extend trust. It has always amazed me when I hear leaders that are at the top of the level, top of the chain, who say, well, my team needs to trust me. They need to earn my trust. And I'm like, and here's where the problem starts. You as a leader who is creating the vision, setting strategy, you need to extend trust and you need to afford trust to your team so that they can then that they, you earn their trust, not the other way around. And most leaders have that backwards. Most leaders think, well, my team needs to earn my trust. Ooh, 
No, you need to earn their trust and demonstrate what's possible. And so I think most people are really afraid of conflict because either trauma from their childhood, trauma in culture, trauma from their own business environments has created a space where they've been shut down, torn apart, embarrassed, um, whatever it is, there's been a negative consequence or outcome that when they've heard themselves speak, someone has torn them down. And so until leaders start to demonstrate real vulnerability to start building that trust muscle again, um, it's really hard to get people to want to stand in a place of real confrontation, which unfortunately or fortunately is the only space where real solutions come from. And, and, and it's amazing to me because you get into corporate for example, an HR says, let's manage conflict, right? They do all these trainings around managing conflict and their focus is getting conflict out of the equation when in order to have real communications, you must have healthy conflict. You can't communicate without healthy conflict. People are bringing different experiences, different expertise, different perspective. And if you don't have people trained in how to invite and facilitate healthy conflict, you are never having the real conversations in your organization, period. So how much is too vulnerable? Like when people talk about being vulnerable in leadership, they're like, um, maybe there's that TMI. Yes. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about how a leader can be vulnerable yet still have a place of respect and also be seen as someone who can lead. And there's a huge spectrum around vulnerability. Vulnerability is not oversharing. And most people have a myth or a, a, an incongruent belief around vulnerability means I just give everybody all, I open my kimono, the robe, and I share everything. There's leaders that can be extremely vulnerable and never share anything personal about themselves. Vulnerability is more an openness to allowing a bigger conversation, to acknowledging that you don't have it figured out, that you have it all figured out, to acknowledge that sometimes it takes courage to know, I may not know how to do this, but I trust together we're gonna figure this out. Vulnerability is a space that says, I don't always have to have the right answer, and I can allow myself to receive and listen and be open to something that maybe I didn't even think was possible. And when things get sticky, instead of wanting to shut it down or wanting to overthrow it, I want to be in it so that as Brene Brown would say, we're going to rumble and have the bigger conversation, right? We're going to rumble without vulnerability. Vulnerability is not about oversharing. And most people will say, well, I'm being very vulnerable. No, you're just opening up your closet of nonsense and drama. That's not being responsible because there's a responsibility when it comes to venting and vulnerability. And again, it's knowing your audience to know where their emotional bandwidth is and where the context is. There's things in my life I would share in my mastermind groups because we've built that relationship and there's a deeper level of trust and we've gotten to know each other on that very personal level that I wouldn't share in my three-day events or in my corporate, with my corporate clients because it's not the right context. It's not me being responsible in that space. And so there's a, there's a spectrum and it really does play in what trust has been established and almost what permission you have based on what people are able to receive, what context you're putting it in and their current emotional wherewithal or intelligence um, in that space. But there's great re responsibility that comes with being vulnerable. Yeah. Most people either do all or nothing and it's not being responsible. It's interesting how you tie responsibility and vulnerability together. 
one of the books that I read by Dr. Mark Olson, uh, Just Listen, one of my most favorite go-to communication books, um, there's a story in there. And when I was first introduced to that book, I was introduced to it in audio format. And there's a story about um, a CEO who had a difficult time um, parenting and then how he took his lesson from parenting and went into the boardroom and said, you know what? you guys were wanting to protect me from me and I owe you an apology. And here's the story. He used the story. Didn't go, I don't think he went into huge detail, but he had the story of how he was not listening mm -hmm. and how he knew he was not listening to his people. And he asked for a second chance. Yeah. That was one of the greatest stories for me in vulnerability and how he was now accepted again by his people with a whole different appreciation. Yeah. Well, and right in there, you just both things, right? Vulnerability and responsibility. He allowed himself to be open to say, I made a mistake and I own that mistake. And I want to know what I need to do because when we say, cause a lot of times we use the word, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, which is a watered down cop out and it, it has no meaning. And on a literal level, it actually, you're saying, I am sorry, which is a reflection of a state of how your, your, your belief and how you're um, positioning yourself. So there's nothing about I'm sorry that works. When you say I apologize, it's an action-oriented statement, and it takes full ownership to say I apologize. It, is, it takes incredible courage and vulnerability to acknowledge, especially in a large organization, and say I messed up. I take full responsibility for the fact that I didn't show up as my best self, that I dropped the ball, that I did whatever, and the I apologize says, then I want to do what's required to rectify that behavior and create a bridge of trust. So they all go hand in hand, right? It's vulnerability, it's responsibility. And then he's building that bridge of trust, which without trust, you can't have, you can't have any of them without each other. They're not isolated. They need to be, they're all muscles that need to be flexed. And just like going to the gym, you can't just work your abs once a month and expect to have a six pack. You need to work those muscles every day. And it takes courage and it takes, you know, being wide open and knowing that you're not always going to get it right and being okay with that. Yeah. So often you'll hear, I'm sorry, but why is it so hard to people, for people to actually say, I apologize? Is it, the fact that they made a mistake is it make them that they think they're weak because i hear us responsibility a <laughs> right well but it's the yeah because first of all people don't even realize i say it. they start sentences with, i'm sorry but I'm like wow i don't know i'm sorry you feel that way oh yes which i actually tell people like say they say something that someone reacts to our natural response is oh i'm so sorry i didn't mean to say that or i'm sorry you feel that way no the best response is wow help me understand Help me understand is powerful, is powerful and it opens up trust and vulnerability. That three, those three words, help me understand what you just heard. I noticed that our energy just shifted. I noticed that you just shut down. I know, again, it's that difficult conversation, right? I notice, I feel like all of a sudden our conversation went somewhere else. Help me understand what just happened because I'm going to own, especially if you're a leader that's being intentional with what you say, you are going to trigger people. You are going to have them stand in a space that's uncomfortable. And if you say, I'm sorry, every time they give you a reaction, you're not helping people stay accountable in their own stuff. 
And I believe my, in my heart of hearts, I think why people struggle with, I apologize, is because we've created a culture of entitlement where people are not willing to take personal responsibility. When I talk about leadership, I talk about it being a function of how you choose to show up how you choose to serve others, and how you choose to take personal responsibility inside those two spaces. And when you take personal responsibility, you realize the only thing you can control is what you believe, what you expect, what you say, what you think, and what you ultimately do. You cannot take responsibility for what someone chooses to do if you are being from a place of pure intention, standing up in your highest and best self. What happens is people don't want to take that responsibility. They don't want to own the fact that this is what they believe. They don't want to own the fact that they screwed up. They want someone else and they would rather play the blame game, which is, well, they didn't give me an opportunity. So this is why this didn't happen. No, you didn't do what was required. And so it's interesting because I, that was another way to disrupt, especially with my teams, people, and I love y'all get clients that will say, Candy, just let me explain. So you're going to give me an excuse. No, 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 no. Just hear me out. So you're going to give me an excuse. Well, no, no. And like five times they will, and they'll finally go, fine, I'm going to give you an excuse. I'm like, great. Now we can talk about why you chose that course of action and what excuse is getting in your way. Because this is, I'm not going to let you cop out just because you want me to understand. No, that's you going, I'm sorry. That's you copping out. It's holding people accountable, but you have to be able to hold yourself accountable first. So leadership should actually be synonymous with ownership. And yes. as long as everybody's taking ownership, they're a leader. Yes, because we've all been given a certain set of gifts, tools, light, a song that's our own. There's kids with autism that demonstrate better leadership than some of us grown-ups because they come from a place of pure intention with no agenda and they just show up at their highest and best self. Leadership is a function of you standing in what was given to you. And yes, taking ownership that you understand how to manage your energy, that you understand what's required if you're going to open your mouth and say that, what's required if you're going to put that on the table, that then you've got to stand in that and own that instead of going, well, that's not mine anymore. I threw it on the table and I get to back them doesn't work like that. Leadership is a function of taking personal responsibility and holding yourself accountable, period. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I know as a leader, when it comes to that courage and vulnerability, we start getting noise in our head. So what is your solution or your advice for people who have that chatter and they haven't learned how to silence it? Well, the, what's interesting is I actually have an acronym for noise. Um, you can blame it on all my years in corporate. Everything I do has an acronym or an alliteration. But noise, the way I look at it, the biggest thing that gets in people's way is N is the negative self-talk filters and frames. So it is that framing of I'm sorry, or I'm not expert enough, or I'm just whatever, that justing, right? We do that I'm just. So there's strategies to help people really be conscious because when we hear self-talk, we think of when we look in the mirror and we're just hard on ourselves. We have all kinds of negative self-talk that gets in our way. The O is the opinions of others we choose to internalize. And I say that very deliberately, choose to internalize. So it's everybody else's nonsense that we take in. We have a lot of people that are telling us how to drive the car when they've never even learned how to put gas in it. And so then there's the I, which is the inefficiencies we create, which I always say comes from two baby eyes, the inability to say no to things that aren't for you and the inability to properly qualify and dequalify. Even in sales, they teach all salespeople to qualify. They never teach people to dequalify 
prospects and opportunities. And what happens is we invite the wrong people, we invite the wrong opportunities because we've never been taught how to dequalify. Then the S is the shooting. We the shooting you do all over yourself. And I always tell people if you heard think I said one thing versus the other, it's the same. And then the E is the excuses that we create and perpetuate. And it usually comes from four major buckets. It's the fear of being judged or criticized. It's the fear of money, because we have this weird relationship with money in our culture. It's the fear of um, success, of failure, but more times than not, it's actually success. And then it's the fear of rejection. And so what we do is we walk through strategies on how do you recognize that noise getting in the way. And then there's real strategies when you're present, when you're willing to take personal responsibility, you start to ask different questions such as, how's that working for me? Does that serve with what I want moving forward? Okay, that might be what I believed to this point. Is it what I wanna believe? And so you start to give yourself permission to ask questions around, maybe that's not what I wanna buy into anymore. Maybe I'm okay with letting go of that default programming. Maybe I could choose to believe something else. And I get a lot of people that will say, you're challenging all of my beliefs. And my response is good. Then you have one of three options. If you're feeling triggered, you can either cop out and allow the trigger to win and still play victim and keep doing what you're doing. Or you can get super curious as to where's that trigger coming from to say, where's the core belief or where's the noise? And is it possible that maybe there's another story or another thing to buy into instead? Or three, you can get super convicted in what you believe and go, no, this is what I believe. This is who I am. And then it's like water off a duck's back and it doesn't matter anyway. So when those triggers are coming up, when that noise shows up and you're feeling that resistance, you get to choose, again, it's the choice, right? The responsibility to say, well, then do I want to explore this or do I want to let this shut me down? Exactly. And, you know, as you were talking, it made me think of scenarios that I've been faced with because really that reflection and review is a huge part of being a leader. And I sometimes don't think that people take enough time to do that reflection and think, of, think about things being different. Right. What, what do you tell people when you work with them or coach them based on that review and reflection part? Why is that so important? Yeah, and a big thing is, um, and you're right, most people don't give themselves any time to really know. And there's a great quote in one of the videos I pulled from YouTube that says, we spend so much time watching everybody else. You know other people better than you know yourself. And this idea that you can never be the best copycat, but we're so concerned about what everybody else is doing that we don't take time. And I think it was Tony Robbins that said, look, if you don't have 10 minutes every day for yourself, you got bigger issues, right? And so it's that space of allowing yourself, whether it's through meditation, whether it's journaling, whether it's, but also asking yourself, and, and I always bring people back to kind of these two core questions. One is at the end of the day, what do you want your major contributions to be in the world? At the end of the day, because there's a dash and we keep running out of time on that dash and people keep saying someday, someday, someday I'm going to do this. Okay. What is it you want to bring into the world? What are those contributions? Which then leads into the second question, which is your what, why, and who. So what is it you want to create, affect, influence, impact? What is your personal living legacy? And who are you and how do you want to show up in this world? That's that how do you want to show up, right? Um, and then why does that matter to you? Not why does it matter to your spouse or your kids or your parents or the, your neighborhood, but why does that matter to you? 
And then who do you serve in that space? And when you get people, and it's amazing to me when you give, especially corporate players, but people in general, that space to actually ask those questions, it opens up a whole new level of insight. So then you say, how are you creating daily discipline every day that you have time to reflect on those two spaces? And it takes five to 10 minutes a day to allow yourself to say, how am I showing up? How am I? And, you know, we do this exercise where it's like, what are your three words? What are the three words that connect you to that space? And do you get up every day and say, this is how I, I set my intention that I'm going to show up in this way and then at the end of the day we call it the bookends right how do you set intention in the morning morning intention and then at the end of the day evening reflection how did i do where did i kick some serious butt where did i shine and where did i cop out today and it's amazing you can do that just laying in bed as you drift to sleep but that space of really measuring yourself really grading yourself really checking in with yourself and making sure that before you get on this crazy device and your I, whatever that you're setting intention of how you want to show up in the day so we create those bookends and i challenge people that they should have at least at least 30 minutes in the morning and 30 minutes in the evening that are technology free unplugged that's about them that's filling their cup i would encourage that you build up to about an hour and a half in the morning and people are like, I don't have that much time. You'd be surprised how I'm doing that actually yeah. creates more fun. So with that being said, you know, with setting the bookends, do you have a morning routine that you structure your day for success? Absolutely. I have 90 minutes. Um, I have a very clear ritual. I get up. Um, I have gratitude. I, um, you know, brush my teeth through the normal things you got to take care of. I go on a spiritual walk with my dog. Uh, we go out, I breathe in fresh air, I come back, I hydrate, I stretch, um, I do journaling, I do my high performance planner as well as a journal, I read some very inspirational passages, I make my bulletproof coffee, I get in all of that, I don't touch my phone, I don't touch email, I don't get into anybody else's, because what happens when we get in that stuff is we're being led before we can lead. So I set down my three priorities for the day, but I have a ritual and I spend time just waking up and spending time with my dog. He comes and snuggles with me before I even jump out of bed. And we just have this time where it's gratitude for that space. And then at the end of the day, it's the same thing. I quiet down with some very relaxing music, either one of my favorite soundtracks from Pride and Prejudice or the movie The Shift, or I listen to piano music um, or the Calm app. And then I um, journal again. I oftentimes read something very uplifting, spiritual. I have a cup of tea. And I just allow myself to be still and sit. And um, Yes, I am very diligent on my bookends. They are non-negotiables for me. Um, in fact, I don't allow my schedule to happen until I've given myself that space. Because I can't show up as my best and highest self unless I do. So how important is stillness? You talked about stillness. It's kind of that time to be silent. I know... People are like, oh my gosh, I'm already shaking just thinking of being still. Um, yes, and I'm one of those people. I struggle. Yoga is one of the most difficult things for me. Meditation me is not easy. <laughs> I don't, I, I, which is why I do spiritual walks and I do walking meditations. Meditation doesn't have to be that you're sitting with your fingers going, oh, for an hour. You can meditate in five minutes. You can meditate. And so I tell people to start small. I love guided meditations because it gives me something to focus on. I love some of them where you're, chanting, you're saying one word. Um, being still is a muscle 
That absolutely takes a lot of practice, especially if you are a high achieving type A kind of driven personality. You have been taught to go, 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 go. That to be still has in your mind, there's noise that says, I'm not being productive. I'm not being this. And what happens is until you get still and can hear the whispers and still and get to know yourself a lot of the magic and creativity go wayside. And so I've learned as I've worked that muscle, um, sometimes I'll color. So stillness looks very different for me in different capacities because I do still struggle um, and be very transparent about that. I struggle getting quiet. Um, I have chatter all the time going on. And so I will, I, I, there was something I read, you can get a candle and put a candle in front of you and just watch the flame. Just watch the flame and let yourself breathe. And what happens is sometimes we get so concerned that our breathing's not, just create a focal point and just get yourself comfortable sitting for five minutes. Just sitting, then it might be 10, then it might be 20, then it might be five again. Because I'll tell you, sometimes I build and I can get to where I'm meditating 20, 30 minutes and then psh, I'm lucky if I can meditate too. And then what I do is I congratulate and honor the fact that I did too. So even if I can only sit still for two minutes, it's two minutes I'm giving myself to go within. Because we keep looking for validation, for our answers, for solutions outside of us. And every single one of us is equipped with everything we need. And the magic is if you go in, you get the answers you need. And that's the part that most people have never experienced. That as someone who I always thought I had to go find it, well, I already have it and it's right here. And it's so much easier once you allow yourself to be like, oh, that's all I need to do. I meditate a lot before I go to sleep because it helps activate my imagination and my creativity. I'll listen to Deepak, I'll listen to whatever, and I'll meditate because then my dreams fuel something that I wake up the next morning. I'm like, oh my God, I need to make that phone call. Or, oh my God, I never thought about going down that path. And it's just like I have it plant it in. So for me, that works really well to kind of meditate before I go to sleep. It helps me calm down and wind down. That, that was powerful. I don't even know if I should ask you the next question because this is a really great note to, for us to end our interview on, but I'm going to anyway. So what would be your final word of advice for anyone who's now realizing that they can be a leader? And what is one of the best lessons you have learned in become a, becoming a leader yourself? Wow, um, great question. <laughs> so many different ways I could answer that. I think I would say that the, the thing I would leave people with is, what, and it's kind of a tag I use in my business and it's got a lot of meaning in it. It's learning how to say yes to yourself. And you know, as we're having this whole conversation, even as I'm talking about you know, standing in stillness, that there's different ways you can do that. Don't think that you saying yes to yourself has to look the same as someone else saying yes to themselves. It's really being in a place to acknowledge what you need and who you are, and then getting clear of what you need to fill your cup, how you need to learn to be self-full, and how you are bringing the right things to you that are congruent with that space. And so really pausing to say, what does that mean to say yes to myself? And I, I think most people are missing that opportunity because that's the first piece until you fully give yourself permission to stand in that all these other things are just great practices that have no depth and have no connection in that meaning so i would say learning to say yes to yourself first whatever that means for you would be the thing that i'd want to leave people
Thank you so much, Candy. That's so you're powerful welcome. and so many great nuggets. I hope everybody, you're going to have to re-listen, especially if you're driving, but leadership truly is a choice. And one of my favorite things that you shared with us is let me explain. There's usually an excuse that will follow. So Candy, just to conclude our interview as well, how can people stay in touch with you or learn more about you? Yeah, I'm all over social media, so you can find me Candy Barone, and yes, it's spelled Candy Bar One, because my parents were those people, um, but you can find me at CandyBaroneInternational.com, too. There's all kinds of tools and resources and things available, um, but follow me on Facebook, LinkedIn, or Instagram, and I'm always putting things out there to help you clear out the noise, destroy the noise, as I say, and learn how to say yes to yourself, so. Awesome. What a pleasure to have you on the show. I, I know that you're going to be a repeat person who comes back on the show. Um, thank you for sharing all your wisdom. Um, I, again, I would like to thank all of you for listening in. Share this with leaders. Everyone is a leader from where they're at. It doesn't, you're not leading by title. And it's a reminder to you that vulnerability and responsibility come together and that you can truly show up and be the leader you know yourself to be. I want to thank you again, again for listening to Know Your Winner Woman Show. We'd love for you to go over to iTunes. Give us a five-star high five. Share this episode with your friends. Email us. Let Candy and I know about um, how you enjoyed the show. What was your greatest takeaways? Comment below when, if you're on YouTube as well. And uh, you can go over to www.debrakazowski.com to sign up for our newsletter. And we can't wait to share more and more episodes with you. So as Mahama Gandhi said, be the change you wish to see in the world. And I, my wish on behalf of myself and Candy is to go out and make today great. Thank you, everyone.